on this, the last week of Advent, we turn our hearts towards God's unbroken promise to extend his love to each of us. In Isaiah, God promised that he would come to dwell with his people and rescue them. He promised that a child would be born who would be called Emmanuel, God with us. This child, the eternal son of God, would make a great sacrifice, giving us the splendor of heaven to come to earth. But Emmanuel did more than just live among us. He extended to us the love of the Father and provided a way for us to have eternal life. Jesus would be the one called Emmanuel. His birth is significant, not because of its historical significance alone, but more so because God's desire for each of us is for Jesus to be born within us today. And once we receive his love for us, God's desires is that we would extend his love and that it would be revealed to the world around us through our lives. Imagine what could happen if each of us who have experienced the reality of his love extended that same love to a world disillusioned by broken promises. Mary demonstrated the kind of response we should all offer freely to God. She expressed her personal surrender to whatever God wanted to do with her life. All the questions were not answered yet. There is plenty yet to be revealed, but she was still willing and she rested in God's love for her and God's love for the world. She said, may your word be fulfilled. This is what happens to each and every one of us when we believe the good news of Jesus' birth as reality. It profoundly affects our present. Our lives can be changed and in so doing, we can have the eternal impact on the lives of those around us. So may we be people who, like Mary, are eager to say, may your word to me be fulfilled. Please do whatever you want to do in me, God. I fully trust your unbroken promises, and I rest in your word and your love. Jesus. 
Amen, amen, amen. If you want to go to heaven, let me hear your hands. Take us to heaven to live with thee there. A couple of things before we get into the message this morning uh, that I want to talk about. After my message two weeks ago about the army that made proclamation to the shepherds, I went into staff meeting and was informed I ruined everyone's Christmas. So I want to clarify that an angelic army would have great capability to become an angelic choir. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I wanted to get that load off your back and mine. So, and there were times we're dressed in white, but the point was, it was an army that was proclaiming your peace. And we need to hold to that. So glad for the army of God. Yeah, now you can enjoy Christmas and all the songs about the choir singing. Also, there's been a little bit of confusion. What are we gonna do next Sunday? Can you believe it? Next Sunday is Christmas Eve. So what are we gonna do? We've thought about it, talked about it, and um, uh, a couple of people pointed out to me that we start Advent a week early. There's nothing that says when you have to start Advent. So, but we started it a week early so that next Sunday by the church calendar, so that this Sunday, Christmas Eve, we could focus on the Christ candle. So in the morning and in the evening, we will have a candlelight service. And someone has asked, can you do that during the day? <laughs> if I had someone shut those lights out right now, you definitely can do it during the day in here. There are no windows. So we'll be fine. But the morning service, there are invite cards if you want to pick them up. We'll have a service at 9 o'clock and a service at 5 o'clock. They'll both be an hour or less, and they both will be the exact same service and a candlelight service. So if you want to come in the morning and celebrate the Christ child next Sunday at 9, we'll do that together. And then we'll come back together for those at 5 that want to do it in the evening and celebrate Christ together. But they will be the same service not two different services. They'll both be a candlelight service. Everyone who is listening to what I said, raise your hand. <laughs> because I can almost guarantee you, Pastor Nathan, that someone will stop me in the lobby after this service and say, what are we doing next Sunday? So pick up a card and read it 
and you'll be fine. Well, this morning, we're on week four, the unbroken promise of love. And we've been talking all Advent about the pain of broken promises and how God keeps his promises. It just dawned on me this year, and you probably have already noticed that or known that, but I read again through Matthew's account and Luke's account, and you know that nowhere in the nativity story does it say anybody loved anybody? It doesn't say that God loved us. It doesn't say that Mary loved Joseph or that Joseph loved Mary or that either of them loved God, and yet we accept that as part of the story. It's interesting that it's not included, so then how can it be a focal point in Advent? Because the rest of Scripture tells us something very, very important, and that is that love is known by the action it prompts. Love is known by the action it prompts. I was thinking about um, what that really means, and I was reminiscing a little bit with my wife about when I asked her to marry me. And um, how many know that the proposal's the easy part? (laughs) Hello? That's the easy part. All the work starts after that. And it doesn't mean a thing to say, will you marry me if you're not willing to do all the work that follows? Hello? Come on, help say amen somebody. You know what I'm talking about. And it's likewise true that if you say that you love someone and there's no action that follows, your expression of love is meaningless. In fact, you can undo your expression of love by how you do behave. I've told you before that I've had people say to me, Pastor, I want to tell you something in love. And never have I heard what follows be anything that was anywhere near being loving. It usually is hiding behind a criticism. But the Bible tells us in John 3.16 clearly, for God, so what? Say that again. God so the world that he did what? He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John tells us that the nativity story is all about love. And in 1 John chapter 4, if I start reading in verse 7, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not know or whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. How did God show his love? He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. God's promise of love is seen in the actions it produced. So love is all through the story. I was reading at a website, betterhelp.com, talking about some psychological issues and helping one another. And it made this pretty important statement. When you love someone, you must prove it. I had to think about that a while. When you love someone, you must prove it. Show, don't tell. Telling someone you love them can be a good thing, but you must show it too. Is that biblically? Biblical? Sure it is. First John chapter 3. Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. 
that if there aren't actions that follow the expression of love, the love that has been expressed isn't genuine. They have to run together. So I started to think about this a bit, and from the human standpoint, this will be a, uh, a, a human viewpoint kind of message. But when God said or decided, and you can't separate Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but when the Father decided to send his Son, that's when the work began. There's a lot that had to happen. How many of you remember bringing, and some of you it's current, but bringing a new baby home? Three of you. The rest of you have blocked it out of your mind entirely. You need to see a therapist. It's just the start. Is I mean, bringing the baby home, I mean, even now, you have to have a car seat that will stand up to a nuclear attack, and you better put it in right or you're going to get arrested. And then all the safety things that have to happen in the right crib and all the stuff and the clothes. And then we do gender reveals and people get maimed and hurt and we do all kinds of crazy stuff because everything now has taken a whole new turn. We had a family in the church in Ames that had several children and they said, one child changes your life dramatically. Two children changes your life as much as one child, but when you get to three, it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> it's just a mob um, because the work just starts. So I, wanna th I want you to think about a human standpoint, what it meant when the fullness of time had come and God was ready to send forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, what that meant. And the first piece we'd have to consider if you were watching the strategy in the master throne room of heaven, that God had to choose a mother. That's the only way you get into this world is through a mother. God chose Mary. For Jesus to come into the world as a man, he had to have a mother. A supernatural appearance would not have satisfied the need. He could have just appeared somewhere, but that would not have made him fully man. And I'm not diminishing at all the omniscience of God, but it would have been a huge human task just to pick a mother. We go through all kinds of, we go through all kinds of gymnastics just to find to pick nursery workers, let alone find a mother who's going to care for that child and give the love and nurturing that child needs. There's no application form. There's no glass slipper to find the queen. It's, um, it's a moment that God has to th think about this. God is sending his son. It's going to be pretty important to God who the mother is. Amen. And to avoid public disgrace, listen to me carefully, in order to avoid public disgrace and to be fully man without carrying the sin nature of Adam... It had to be an engaged virgin that limits the selection. It had to be a virgin that was already engaged to be married. What a task. So the angelic messengers, God selected Mary as the one that he wanted. I'm going somewhere with this, so don't, don't bail on me yet. 
said, Mary, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And I laugh when I read this because when this angel appears, must have been a little more subdued than the ones with the shepherds because she is not afraid. She's greatly troubled. Now think about that for a moment and allow my imagination to kind of stretch a little bit. And if I ruin your Christmas, I'll apologize next week. But I began to think about that. It says that she was troubled. If an angel appeared to you and said, you are highly favored, I'd rejoice at that. But it troubled her. It's almost as if she knew that if an angel was saying, you are highly favored, this is going to take me down a road I may not want to go. Something about that favor of God troubled her. Perhaps it was just that she didn't feel worthy to be identified in that way, but whatever was happening, it troubled her. She wasn't afraid. She was troubled. And he presents to her an inexplicable calling from God. And she responds with submission to his will. So the first thing that he does is he chooses of all the Jewish women in Israel, he finds one that he chooses to be the child bearer of the son of God. The angel answered and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, so nothing is impossible with God. And all of that, you have to think about this. I want you to think about this from the human side. You're highly favored. You're going to have a supernatural child. And your elderly relative that was not going to be able to have a child is in her sixth month. And she said, may it be to me as you have said. She didn't make that decision in that moment. She lived that kind of lifestyle. The angel didn't wonder what her response would be. God wasn't looking for someone who wouldn't respond with a submissive heart to God. And I'd suggest to you that while not diminishing the omniscience of God, that God watches us all and sees the steps that we take. And when he watched Mary, he saw a woman that was highly favored by God before the angel said she was highly favored. She wasn't highly favored because he said so. She was highly favored because of the relationship she had with God. And that can only be explained by a woman who hears something inexplicable, who says, if you say it, God, I will submit to it. God knew Mary. And you know that Old Testament worship, in spite of what we're told, 
is based on a love relationship. If you were going to walk with God in the Old Testament, it wasn't out of fear and adherence to the law because even the teachers of the law would tell you that the law is summed up in this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. David was a man after God's own heart. Abraham was the friend of God. There were love relationships through the old entirety of the Old Testament. And Mary was one that was walking in a love relationship with God, walking in the favor of God. And so God didn't have to go find someone. He chose one that he knew. He chose one that he knew. In ways we do not know, her heart had been turned toward God. Clearly, God had been watching her life. So what does God see when he watches you? I wish you were highly favored. That's a decision you make. It's a lifestyle that you live. What has he chosen you to do? What purpose does he have for his life that will show his love to the world? Because when God chose Mary, as you look at the action that it prompts, it's clear that God loved Mary because he chose her to bear his son. And it's clear that Mary loved God because she said, whatever you say. Um, Do you know what that is? That's absolute trust. How many people in your life right now would you trust enough to say, whatever you say to me, that's what I'll do? I got a couple. Hello? God chose her. And she was ready because her, she didn't make a decision. I want you to see this. She didn't make a decision in the moment. It was the natural response of a cultivated relationship with God. Second, God called Joseph. You see, in the culture they lived in, it'd be the same in our culture today, that if Mary was going to give birth to a child and not be a humiliation or a byword or an outcast, there had to be an earthly father. And he had to be rather unique. He had to be a man who would testify. I'm not trying to be graphic, but we, it's the story. Had to be a man who would testify to the virgin birth. I know she's not been with anyone and she's not been with me. A man that is willing to marry a woman and not engage in intimacy for for several months and absorb the feedback of the world around and testify to her purity. And that wasn't his initial reaction because he didn't know the story, but once he heard the truth of the story, he was a man of integrity that God chose. You say, well, how, or called. Well, he was already in, engaged. How, how do you say God called him? <laughs> the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord, and he delights in his way. Pastor Tim, have there been times in your life that completely unaware to you, God was guiding your steps? Didn't know it, didn't see it, but at the end, you see God was in all of that. What if, <laughs> I'm sorry. 
What if Mary had followed in with a local motorcycle gang member? God could have blitzed him out of the picture. But you know why she wouldn't have? Because her heart was turned toward God. You can see, listen to me, you can see the love people have for God by the people they choose to associate with. If you claim to be a child of God and your closest friends aren't children of God, your love relationship isn't healthy with God. Now, you should have friends that aren't Christians, absolutely. But the people that you will share your most intimate secrets and your life with should be people that are in love with Jesus. And, and God directed their steps in some fashion, again, unknown to us. I'm absolutely co convinced that when, however they got together, when, I'm so tempted to play around a little bit, but I'll be careful. When Joseph saw Mary and went, oh, that was a God-anointed O. <laughs> Hello? He brought them together. He had a calling on Joseph's life because there are a number of things that would have had to happen. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 1, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel Lord had commanded him and took Mary home his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Do you know that God would lead them through revelation and through circumstance? Do you know the Bible said that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem of Judea? And God used a taxing to get him there. But Joseph couldn't have been a tax cheat. He had to be willing to go to Bethlehem and pay his taxes that God was guiding and directing the steps of this man of integrity, that to get them there, he would, whether he understood the prophecies, and I'm sure that he, I just am sure he didn't have a full grasp of that, but he's on his way in fulfillment of prophecy. He would have to get Mary to Bethlehem. And then he would have to find a place for them to stay. <laughs> Early in our marriage, when we would travel, we would try to find a motel along the way. Anybody ever do that? I do not do that anymore. <laughs> Forgive me for this story, but we were driving across country and we came to Gary, Indiana. Have any of you ever been to Gary, Indiana? Okay, I'll just leave it at that. And we didn't have any money, so I pulled up to a Motel 6 the first clue that something was wrong is when I went to see if they had a room, they had bars on the windows. And when I asked a room, I was so naive, they asked me if I wanted it for the night or by the hour. And I didn't have any idea what they were talking about. I said, who rents the room by the hour? And she looked at me like, where'd you come from, Iowa? I promise you after that trip, we never again did on-the-spot bookings. We're going to do it ahead of time. Never doing that again. So Joseph comes to town, and think about the strength of Mary and Joseph and the relationship. There's no place to stay. Joseph, you knew we were coming here. This is your hometown. Don't you have any family? 
Couldn't you have sent a message ahead? What are you thinking? Do you realize I'm about to give birth? What is wrong with you, you knothead? <laughs> don't look at me like people don't talk that way. <laughs> but they, as far as we know, they didn't. But Joseph, watch, was committed to do whatever it took to find a place. And while it looked like the worst place in town, it was the perfect place in town because it was a place that God ordained. And because their lives were governed by the will of God, they accepted it as a place that God had for them. He would have to find a place for them to stay. And if they hadn't ended up in the manger, in the, in the, in the stable, the shepherds would never have seen the sign of the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. He would have to receive wise men. People say, well, why'd they bring gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh? Because God was funding their journey into Egypt. For a period of time, they would have no source of income. Joseph was a carpenter, but they're going to have to flee for their lives. And there had to be somebody of enough respect and posture that could receive wise men and be able to manage the gifts that they were being given. A man of financial integrity had to be a man that could hear from God <coughs> and lead them from their hometown into a foreign land, into Egypt and provide direction, later return. He would have to be the kind of man that would teach Jesus a trade and guide over his development. How well did he do? How, did well, how well did Joseph and Mary do? After the encounter with the scribes in the temple when they couldn't find Jesus... Following that account in Luke chapter 2, the Bible says, Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, in favor with God, and in favor with men. Who guided him? You say he was the son of God. He was a child that needed training and development. And Mary and Joseph together walked with God and were able to raise the son of God in such a way that he grew as he should. There was a calling on Joseph's life. He was not just a tag along. God knew Joseph. You talk about love. Where is love in all that? It likely, their marriage in some fashion or another likely was an arranged marriage. And I was reading an article about arranged marriages and it said, with due respect to the ideology of love marriage, we need to know that arranged marriages can also be as loving as love marriages, if not more. It just needs more effort from both partners as the relationship is arranged, um, marriage progresses over time. Do you know that statistically, arranged marriages have a higher success rate than love marriages? Amen. We had a couple in the church uh, where I was a youth pastor, they're from the Middle East, 
And they had an arranged marriage. And they had us over to their house for supper. And I just couldn't wait to ask some questions. I, I said, look, I'm not trying to be forward, but you had an arranged marriage. Yes, we didn't have anything to do with it. Our parents got together, decided we would get married. And, and I said, so do you love each other? And they said, oh, with all of our hearts. Did you love each other when you got married? We didn't even know each other. So how did you get there? Said, we determined that the decision of our parents had to be honored. And if this was going to work, we had to learn how to love each other. What do you see in the story of Mary and Joseph? I don't see anywhere that Joseph proposed with an engagement ring inside a rose in a vase at a fancy restaurant in town. I don't know how it all happened. I don't know that they ever said, oh, Mary, you're the love of my life. Oh, Joseph, you're the love of my life. I don't know if that ever happened, but I do know when he watched the action that it prompts between them Theirs was much more than a contractual relationship. It was a relationship based on love. It's clear that they loved each other to be able to continue on the journey that they were on. God had a calling on Joseph's life and he honored that and respected that. So God chose Mary out of a love relationship. God called Joseph into a love relationship. Why? So that God could covenant with mankind. All of this was about God's covenant with us. God's promise of love. His love is the foundation of the story As I've already read to you, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. It's a promise of all to all mankind through all ages, and it is an unbroken promise. Why all of that with Mary? Why all of that with Joseph? Why all of the work, the detail, being refugees coming back, the kings, or the, I'm sorry, the wise men who came and brought gifts? It's an incredibly complicated story. Why did God go through all of that? Because he loves you and wants to covenant with you for life. Love is seen in the action it produces. God went to a lot of trouble to let us know that he wants a love covenant with us that will give us newness of life. And it's an unbroken promise. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10, verses 11 through 13, Anyone who trusts in him, the Lord, will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God wants to covenant with us for life. Mary was chosen. Joseph was called so that God could covenant and make a promise of love to you. That promise of love is if you will believe on the Lord Jesus, you will be saved and enter into a love relationship with God. All of the story is about that. I am a sentimentalist at Christmas time, not very many other times during the year. But I, I was sitting in the light of a Christmas tree at my, uh, my future bride's house, at her parents' house, 
when I told her I wanted us to spend the rest of our life together. And so I have a warm kind of sentimentalism to that time of year, and I love the trees and the lights and all of that. I've even come over the years to appreciate Santa. I was a warrior against Santa when I was a young, but then I realized if you interpret and re, redefine the narrative, what should he represent? In fact, I'll tell you a story really quick here that kind of fits in. <laughs> a young boy came to his father and said, dad, is Santa Claus real? And the dad said, do you, if you really want to know, with knowledge comes responsibility. So if I tell you the truth, you have to be responsible. Dad, I think I'm ready. I need to know if Santa Claus is real. And he said, yes, son, he is real. He was a real man that lived at a real time that loved people and gave gifts to kids and told the story of Jesus. And he was a person that then we model after and now that you know the truth, you're responsible to do the same. You need to love people, be kind to children, and tell people about the story of Jesus. I kind of like that. But with all of the emphasis we have in all the things that happen, the point of the story is telling people about Jesus, that he wants to covenant with you. The lights, the traditions, the trees, the gifts, all are meaningless and empty if you miss the point of the story. And the point of the story is God wants to covenant with you so that you will have life, that you will be, if he chooses you, you'll follow. If he calls you, you'll fulfill. But all of that comes out of a covenant relationship. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be changed. It does not ever fail. That is an unbroken promise. We talk a lot about the ABCs of salvation. And I just want to remind you here this morning in the chapel, those online, that the point of Christmas isn't the manger. It's the journey to the cross and the new life that he offers. And we try to simplify it a bit, and I think it's healthy to do that, that you have to first, A, admit your need of a savior, that you've done wrong, that your life is broken, that you can't make it on your own or in your own strength, that you have to admit your need, your failure, your sin, and then you have to believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead for your sins. Admit your failure. B, believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead so that you can have newness of life and then simply call on him and confess him as your Savior and Lord. That's the Christmas story. God came to covenant with you. You want a love story? There it is. There it is, God's expression of love to you. I've been reading articles lately about easy believism and whether you should pray a sinner's prayer. Let me just tell you, there are millions of ways you can come to him, but that will always carry those three components. 
I listened to a man's testimony who had responded to an altar call several times and nothing in his life changed. And he's sitting in the balcony in a meeting when they give an altar call. If you want to invite Jesus into your life, I want you to stand. And he thought, I've stood dozens of times and nothing has changed. And in his heart, he said, God, I'm not going to stand and go through another ritual. I am deciding today that I'm going to call on you. And he walked out and went to his car and prayed through and experienced the new life that Jesus gives. It's the same. doesn't matter where or how, but we receive the covenant relationship. What is this story about if nobody's life has changed? If nobody enters into that covenant relationship? And then that's a lifestyle that you walk in as Mary did and as Joseph did. Because if you say, God, I love you, Love is known by the action it produces. So I'd like every head bowed, every eye closed just for a moment. And I just want to give an opportunity. If you've not entered into that love covenant relationship that this morning you'd have that opportunity. I'm not really concerned about methodologies. I'm concerned about the reality of calling on the name of the Lord. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so if you're not in right relationship in that love covenant, God chose Mary. He called Joseph so he could covenant with you. It's relevant today. If you don't know him as your personal Lord and Savior, with knowing, looking around, this is a private time. Would you just slip up your hands so I can pray for you saying, I'm making a decision today to follow after Jesus. Anyone in the house? Yes, thank you, thank you. Anyone else? Hold up your hand. Yes, thank you. Anyone else this morning? That's three, is there anyone else? I need to give my life, surrender my life to Jesus Christ today. Thank you, four, five, thank you. Six, thank you. I'm gonna surrender my life to Jesus. Here's what we're gonna do, whether you raise your hand or not, if you need to. I am not gonna lead you in a prayer this morning. While we worship, I'm gonna ask you to pray. Simply, A, admit you need him. B, tell him you believe. And three, confess him as your Lord and Savior. And if you'll do that in the stillness of your own heart, I can promise you that you will not be disappointed that Jesus will come by and bring new life to you. While we worship, admit to him you need him. Believe that he has come, rose from the dead for you, and confess him as your Lord, and he will hear your cry. Let's stand together and worship the Lord together. is greater far than tongue or pen could ever tell it goes beyond the highest star and reaches to Bow down with care.
extended toward us to be thankful filled with gratitude that you desired to covenant with us help us walk in that love and share it with the world around us in your name if you raise your hand or whether you raise your hand or not and prayed that prayer you made a commitment of your life to Jesus love is known by the action it produces love is known by the action it produces What I'm going to ask you to consider is stopping by the table in the lobby and picking up some information. The best next step for you is to come be a part of Launchpad. 
so that we can share with you what God wants to do in your life, what's happening in this place, and walk alongside you. So if you've prayed that prayer, we'd love to have you join us at Launchpad so that we can help you on your journey and walk along with you. If you're glad for the love of God, let me hear your hands this morning. God bless you. Pick up some invite cards for our Christmas Eve Sunday and uh, give it away or put it on your fridge to remind you whichever you need to do. Amen. God bless you.